German cinema has had three important phases. The first, the expressionist silent era of the 1920s, Murnau, Lang, etc., which revolutionized the art of cinematography. The youthful new German cinema of the 1970s, this is Herzog, Fassbinder, von Trotter, which wrestles mostly and directly with the wreckage of the Third Reich. But by the end of the 20th century, Germany now has even more mucky history to metabolize. Reunification, the Red Army faction, and so on, and so weiter. Enter the Berlin School, an illustrious cohort of graduates of the DFFB Film School in Berlin, many of whom are still making films today. Angela Schanalek, Thomas Arslan, Valeska Griesebach, and Christian Petzold. Christian Petzold's career also divides neatly into three phases. He starts off making icy, restrained, noirish, violent, but somehow also cloudy thrillers. There's usually a bland hotel room, a car crash near an empty field, and sooner or later, a horrendous tragedy. Some of these films, Cuba Libre, Ghosts, and The State I Am In, were co-written by his tutor at the DFFB, the multimedia artist Harun Faroqi. Faroqi's presence is felt subtly. A recourse to CCTV or computer-generated renders recalls his theory of the operational image, images made by machines. Nestled in this prolific phase is a trilogy called the Ghosts Trilogy, Gespenster, apt as their narratives are haunted by the ghosts of 20th century Germany. And yet the locations feel clean, corporate, and anonymous. Pestol's success at this point leads him to projects with higher budgets and bigger ambitions. He makes a couple of historical works, Barbara and Phoenix, and one set in a dystopian future, Transit. Phoenix and Transit are adaptations. They all deal with fascism. The trilogy is called Love in the Times of Oppressive Systems. Love in Times of Oppressive Systems. They are a more overt attempt to say something about Germany's past. The critics love these films. <laughs> the third phase is harder to pin down. His current trilogy begins with Undine, a contemporary love story laced with mythology. And his newest film, A Fire, is a holiday drama with a climate collapse backdrop. It's hard to guess what the third film will be like from these two offerings. Petzold's films often look plain, but he builds tension with the panache of Hitchcock. He alludes a lot to off-screen literature and lore. Sometimes he holds back too much. Sometimes he's heavy-handed. One way or another, this makes his filmography excruciatingly hit and miss, but also full of surprises. Although you can usually count on Nina Hoss or Paula Beer appearing. Welcome, so. <laughs> welcome to Return to Form. Joining me to discuss this uneven oeuvre, as ever, is Owen. And we are also joined live from Berlin by George Macbeth, our German correspondent. We reviewed A Fire in February as part of the Berlinale. Critical accounts tend to get Petzold wrong. George, where would you advise a novice to begin? It's true. The critics seem to be united in liking all of the worst Petzold films, right? Um his most garlanded and his most um, popular films, I hope we won't talk about too much because they're such stinkers, Barbara and Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some extent also Transit. Uh, and the earlier trilogy not only struggled to get distribution across whole Europe, I mean the first two parts of it, Yella did, which is the third one, Hello. Uh, but has skated by the recent kind of recuperation of him mm. after, um, so for instance, it was a feature on movie that didn't, uh, didn't spotlight any of these films. Yeah. Um, and a recent season at the ICA. Uh, exactly, right. <laughs> um, the failing ICA. Well, 
So I, and I'm, I'm curious about why this is actually, because, um, about why they weren't programmed. No, what, what it is that, uh, has made, uh, the lesser moments of his filmography, uh, his most, um, his most successful, his most Well, I think there's, there's a recent and I think with that in part, I think, because we can't, you know, yeah, we can't dispense of that. I think, you know, now he's, he's got these chops as a important European art house filmmaker. I think necessarily we're kind of saddled institutionally with whatever he puts out in a way. So there's a recency bias behind mm. it. But, you know, when it comes to, yeah, it's surprising that someone like Mubi, the only film in the UK that's available is um, Phoenix, which by far is probably his weakest. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I know. think when they, ha as you say, when they have uploaded his work, it's tended to be this this uh, oppressive systems era, yeah. which I think has some liberal appeal, right? I mean, Transit, for instance, does feel like mm. a kind of, a kind of fable. Uh, I mean, all of them. I mean, obviously, any film about uh, the Nazi period is, you know, um, they're attempting to. They feel, they feel uh, 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 you know, they feel like they're trying to say, oh, look, you know, beware of the of the the dangers of authoritarianism and so forth. As I alluded to in my intro, I feel like these earlier films, the Ghosts trilogy, mm. have like fascism running through them in, a, uh, or like the edge of fascism running through them in a much more like. Um, like sticky and insidious way mm. which makes them much more exciting as films i mean we all know that we shouldn't do fascism yeah it's nice wait wait, wait. i'm hearing this for the first time <laughs> it's not it's nice for art wait 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 this <laughs> dropping <laughs> revelations truth bombs on that um, um but it's nice for art to, to maybe say something well, a think, bit more complex than that. i think the important thing is like we were, we were chatting about this all the last couple of weeks while we've been immersing ourselves in in petzl's world in the pet cemetery mm -hmm. um and i think the his films i mean i'm making a very kind of big statement that i might now i row back over the course of this episode but i don't know but is that pet souls films are stronger when these sub these these currents of oppression and tragedy are sublimated are submerged um and not directly alluded to um we're looking at a uh a, a form like forms of behavior and social structures that are generated by repression um you know, so the Ghost trilogy, very literally, uh, there's, you know, in many of his films, particularly his earlier films, there are people with, as it were, dark pasts. Um, personally, we rarely get much insight into their motivations. Um, Could or, you just you know, talk us through the, the, these three films? Well, I mean, the state I'm in. I, I, I actually want to talk, yeah, so stay, stay, blah, The State I'm In is, a, is the RAF film you alluded to, but again, not directly. So these are two people, a couple with a young teenage daughter who are on the run from crimes um, linked to what is alluded to be the RAF, you know, the left-wing political um, exiles, terrorists. Um, and uh, they've gone to ground in Portugal and they make a return to Germany, this kind of homecoming. Um, and with that film, you know, uh, the, it, unlike, you know, someone like Alexander Kluger, the RAF are not directly invoked. They're just alluded to in general. You know, that's it works in this capacity when he, you know, they make this return to Germany. And the great thing about it is he works on that level. He also works on the level of path, um, bathos, sorry, you know, because the return from, they're actually going from a relatively idyllic um, Azores uh, uh, resort in, um, in Portugal to this quite clinical, faded, Germany of flat fields, motorway service stations, um, cold weather, grey, overcast. You know, there's this real sense of kind of irony and bathos with um, Petzold, which is one of his real strengths because in a way he's, 
he's really good at representing Germany in in a kind of non non signifying way. You know, we don't get the Brandenburg Gate, for example. It's kind of a bit like Jacques Tati with Playtime. You know, having a film about Paris that doesn't feature any of Paris in it. Um, and I think that's where he's really, really strong, this sense of bathos and this sense of irony and this, this about Germany, this ironical attitude towards, um, uh, towards Germany itself. I think to um, clarify your point, Ralph, about like the relationship to history in these, these early films, you need, it, um, it's important to bring into focus like what the Berliner school kind of is, right? And so it, it's, not, it's, it's not just the fact that they were all students of the same two mentors. This guy, Helmut Batolsky, who wrote, um, made a documentary, Das Kino und die Todd, uh, Cinema and Death, um, and Faroki. Uh, but also that they, um, I suppose, generationally speaking, were a bunch of filmmakers who were united in bridging uh, you know, the, an epochal period of reconstruction and the, 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 the mm. let's let's call it what it is, dismantlement of uh, the DDR by force. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, the concentration then became, um, there was a relapse after reconstruction to like a schlocky genre fair of the sort of filmmaking that had basically succeeded the glory era of, uh, the 20s, let's say, um, both and then carried over from the Nazi period into the, you know, into the reconstruction, the first reconstruction after the war of, of German mm. society. And so partly these early films are a trench and critique as much of cinema and of a, a national cinema and what it's constrained by. Um, but they were also at this time, the 90s was like pumping out at an industrial rate, the sort of... Uh, period drama prestige film that makes you think um, about historical atrocity, which Petzl then goes on to kind of lurch into making for two films. Mm. And I think an interesting moment from the state I am in, or, uh, yeah, it's actually, its German title is better, Inera Cyclicite, which should really mean internal security. So I don't know why they mm. went with a state I am in. Right from that till a fire, which which is called Rotter Red Sky. Red Sky, there's yeah. a pattern here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Somehow they were... Because uh, language is very important in his films. It's funny that they, the subtleties that get so kind of pressed out. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a great scene when the, the daughter, who is sort of neglected by these, um, yeah. by these permanently harried former ter- terrorists who have got main character syndrome, really, and sort of leave her <laughs> to form um, loose friendships with people in these desolate spots of Germany. She's watching uh, Night and Fog in the classroom. Yeah, remember this yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. She, they watch they watch Renee's night and vlog, and it, and it's cut and it's shot in such a way as to show the kind of blank indifference of the um, of the students there. And it's it's mm. this uh, I think it's this concern that there is um, that this ritual of pumping out these uh, uh, depictions of the war period is actually doing nothing to ferment a kind of and uh, for men an anti-fascist sensibility or whatever else right it's 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 slightly more like a sort of um uh, a sort of kind of dull self-flagellation a kind of indifferent self-flagellation in a way there's an acknowledgement of wrongs but right it's not really looking at them severely in the eye it's just saying but you know things happened i think the, the one for me one of the uh, i was rereading um as sebold um recently as one does um and i was rereading natural history of destruction which i think is 
his his collection of essays which deal with post-war German literature um, and specifically there's a, there's a the kind of keystone uh, essay in that collection is about um, the I, I guess the the German I guess post-war repression of crimes committed during the Holocaust and during the war but also a repression of uh, German trauma so he's talking specifically about the air war um, you know the fun fine fire bombing of German cities and mass death um, and I think the his argument is that the German population particularly the kind of parents generation as it were people who lived through it and participated in these events um, were unable to mourn and the society as a whole was unable to mourn because they were mourning for other lost people they were unable to mourn for their own sons for their own cities and whatever because there was a sense of shame um, around it and so this led to uh, large for Sebald at least you know maybe you can quibble with it quite easily but you know large amounts of repression um, and I think one so of the, the, me- the in the geopolitical men's mental health essentially. yeah a little bit you know talk to blokes um, <laughs> and I think what happens for, for you know a filmmaker like um, uh, Petzold kind of t- t- takes you know in his early films anyway looks at that really interestingly because there is always a submerged horror in his films, which kind of bursts forth, but there's always, you know, it'd be characters with a dark background. Uh, it will be the sense of a great calamity that's waiting to happen or has happened mm. and people are living the aftermath of that. You know, it's very cold, very inhuman. Um, I think when you look at say a film like Jericho, yeah. uh, the main character in that, um, arrives kind of motiveless in a way. He's like Shishikov, you know, Gogol Shishikov. He's this kind of motiveless um, man who has a past. He was he was dishonorably discharged from the military and has been serving in Afghanistan. Um, and that's all we're given about his past. We know he's you know a, another film might slowly reveal what happened. You know, mm. you know, but we never get that. We never get that insight. Um, and the same thing we see a kind of uh, the 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 kind of triangulation that forms in that film in this relationship between him the the turkish business owner and uh nina hoss's character the wife the kind of young hottie wife of the turkish business owner who he falls into this romantic affair with again there is a sense of uh i, I guess mourning and loss you know the turkish um business owner himself you know as a refugee and there's obviously a large turkish refugee population in um in 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 germany so i think that's probably quite pointed he is mourning in a way for his homeland again yeah like there's a a revelation sort of halfway through the film about the circumstances under which this rather glamorous woman is with this rather schlubby irritable Mm. man and it's revealed that there there's a you know which to be honest the the viewer is what the viewer is considering like (laughs) this yeah this coupling within the first 10 minutes you're like come on yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. I, f- I found that was revealed a little bit later on. To be honest, but yeah, uh, yeah, mm. and and she because she, but she is sort of so silent for so long, and then her her behaviour is quite impulsive and strange, and kind of like a kind of traumatized mm. cat or something. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, and I feel like, I mean, I watched Jericho last night. I had, I mean, it's it's well constructed in in various ways, but I had mm. reservations about the way that this this like. This, this thing was revealed and I, I sort of compared it to Ghosts which is the second film in the Gespenster trilogy I mean it should just also be said that he was making films there's too many to name but you know we, between his TV work and his uh, theatrical releases you know there's films like Wolfsburg you know, and Cuba Libre there's, he was making a lot of stuff mm. um, uh, but yeah the, these kind of uh, stat, these like ones that were, that were given more profile uh, Gespenster Ghosts the centerpiece of the uh, 
of the ghost's triptych um, begins beautifully with uh, a man and a, a woman in a car, uh, presumably husband and wife. Uh, this this very epic classical music is playing. I can't remember what the piece is. Um, and then cut to a park uh, where a, a woman is picking litter um, and she witnesses a uh, an assault yeah. um, on another woman by uh, two men uh, who steal this woman's jewellery. The girl who's w- watching the onlooker has this moment where she wonders if she should intervene. Mm, she she, en- she ends up watching and then she picks up one of the earrings and like this earring becomes a way in which these two women connect. This connection then becomes a love affair. There's an amazing push and pull between them mm. whereby more details about both of their pasts are revealed, but not everything is ever revealed. Um, and it culminates. And then she has this encounter with the woman from the car earlier mm. um, who it discovers uh, has, has, has had a, a kind of Madeleine McCann style yeah. um, a disappeared child um, and has spent, the, you know, over a decade searching for this girl and she's convinced that this um, woman uh, who who we saw earlier picking the litter is is her daughter and this this creates this new relationship and this new difficulty and again a kind of push pill she doesn't know whether to decide to belong to this thing Um, and all these relationships uh, you know there's lots of compassion Mm. but also lots of alienation you know the tension is held really well by these things that even the characters don't always know you know you you find things out with the characters in a re- in a really interesting way and it's, yeah. it's part of what makes what could be quite a kind of like dark like g- gruesome harsh hanukkah style like look how awful modernity is story yeah, yeah 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 into something that is sort of like just shows the random the harsh the, like the randomness of of existence in in, in quite a bare and beautiful way yeah, that there are powers beyond your control and they can structure and influence your life in big ways. And I think, you know, that the idea of, of, of chance and circumstance is really important with him. You know, people don't map out their lives. They don't go according to plan. Instead, these these blisters kind of moments and chance encounters happen, which um, lead them, funnel them down particular paths. And I think it's interesting with um, with Ghost, with Ghost Spencer, um, with this particular film, because... Again, you know, talking about these, 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 the there is a sense of humanism with it because you know, and in a lot of the films of these periods, there are people who are open to uh, love and compassion. It's again, it's interesting you you mentioned Hanukkah because it's quite fitting. Yeah, whereas his is a very devoid of compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of hope in 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 Petzl's films. You know, the, the, this young girl wants to build. You know, she wants this friendship with this uh, other this kind of other stray girl that she has this romantic mm. affair, uh, affair with, um, even though this other girl's quite a bit nasty and weird to her, yeah. you know, she's, she's, but she's desperate for human connection. She's an orphan. Yeah. Um, the mother is desperate to have a daughter, to connect with a daughter and uh, mm. her husband, uh, and it, as it is revealed later in the film, like, should I give it away? Uh, How do we feel about giving away? I'll say spoiler alert. Spoiler uh, there alert. we go. <laughs> Um, it turns out that the actual daughter is very much dead. It's confirmed that this daughter, so the husband says, but the Although, husband kind of indulges the, the, the wife's kind of fantasies. To, of no, I no, it's, it's not so cut and dry though, is it? It's because, not um, because then, because there's this amazing moment right at the end. Yes, yeah. Where she picks yeah. out, so the wallet, so, there, so what, what adds to this really amazingly complex dynamic of this woman saying, I'm your 
this woman says I'm your mother and is extremely affectionate and then mm. like the other woman like robs her and she and wants then, and to believe they, you know and then, <laughs> she wants to believe and, yeah, they, yeah. and they run away and they and but then there's this beautiful ambivalence with this woman where she's like well I need money but I also kind of like I kind of sort of half want this woman to be my mother but she's she's just like you can't really read her but it, mm. you can see her caught between these forces uh, and then right at the end she goes to the bin where the wallet its money having been removed was thrown and you see uh, in it a kind of um, artist rendering an artist a sort of computer rendering mm. of the three year old's face as it would have aged which I didn't realise that they had the tech to do this at the time of the film but, it's very um, rudimentary but it's but quite rudimentary but she yeah. sees herself more or less in the image but still it's it not is, quite yeah it's, it's, amb- it's ambiguous because it could be her that's yeah, the thing yeah, you know. Yeah. so actually the husband is that's his own kind of cope in a way I suppose mm. he's like you know she's dead but the sense of compassion I was talking about, you know, he indulges his wife's desire to find the girl, even though he's obviously personally given up on the search. Yeah. You know? So he's in this very fruitless, uh, perpetual, um, irresolvable state of trauma. Uh, it's nice and very Farrokian, I feel, mm-hmm. that the the moment of tension or the or the like uneasy twist at the end hangs on on such a like uncanny image pushing human and non-human yeah cause i think i mean you you alluded to this in your introduction about this, these operational images and about Farocchi and george was talking about it as well um, and i think one of the really interesting things about the role played by um by screens and by these kind of media interfaces and the interesting mm-hmm. thing about them even though many of these films conform to sort of genre beats and tropes you know they're thrillers and so on where you know something like cctv is used it traditionally in a, in a kind of genre film it's the part of the procedural process and it might be a detective operating a cctv camera and finding a revelation but actually well, these blade be- runner enhance enhance computer enhance <laughs> but actually the funny thing about these the interesting thing about these 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 interfaces these bits of media is that they appear somewhat uh arrhythmically they just drop mm-hmm. into the film suddenly um and we don't see anybody operating them no. there's not a detective behind it pushing it we've just got this kind of screen and the question is who is watching yeah and why you know there's a sense of observation and you know it's something that's where the ghostliness comes in yeah there's a kind of there's everything is being observed everything is being watched um you know the same passivity that she had whilst watching this girl be assaulted there's lots of observation there's lots of looking happening so it's it's almost like it's not it's it's more damning in a way. It's not like society is um, uh, actively repressing things. Mm. Society is looking directly at the crisis or the tragedy, but is not acting. Mm. There's a sense of immense power, but also powerlessness. Yeah, I read that the meat the there there was also a sorry sorry. There's a slight lag, so That's we are in different countries. You know, in different different economic places. entities. Mm. I'm, I'm communicating across. <laughs> Geopolitical gulf here. You know, it takes, uh, <laughs> the takes, state you're takes, in is, uh, and the state the state I am in is okay. <laughs> um, in state. <laughs> but I read that for Petzold, actually, the impetus behind Ghost, which I think is not only his like far and away his best films, but I think one of the most mm. um, arresting and peculiar and elliptical mm. and like downright unsettling uh, films of the noughties yeah. um, was uh, his discovery of precisely these kind of forward, um, forward dated uh, uh, envisagings of um, what a missing child would look like. So we're, we're familiar oh, with this Maddie, from. right? Because you remember that the, mm-hmm. the, son, the son would distribute, you know, Madeleine McCann's kind of um, steadily uh, aging 
uh, visage until I mean she was confirmed dead a few years ago now. But no, um, so that was it. He saw these and he was arrested by Madeline this. McCann wasn't there. She she's wasn't? not been found. She's not been found. No. They've they've arrested. Oh, is it? Now coming okay. a true crime podcast. They've arrested a guy. They're ninety percent confident. <laughs> but, but they don't have her body. Oh, right, okay. Okay. It's yeah. a German man, actually, isn't it? It's Petzold. So, it's Christian Petzold. He's keeping her for the next film. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be the true ghost. <laughs> That's the big reveal at the end. So what he wanted to do was he wanted he wanted to take this kind of ultra contemporary form of um, uh, somehow bringing a specter into the present, right, um, mm. and merging it with. Uh, this folk tale, this merchant from the Brothers Grimm, which is a, 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 and Ralph, I know you struggle with this, that aspect of his filmography. And I think it's, but I think it's doing, it's part of what contributes to this film's power is that the narrative um, of the woman who can't really move on, she can't really mourn her kid. So uh, she will just seize on to um, any random child. And she has these two signifiers, right, which would mark out the kid as being hers, which is a mm -hmm. scar on the ankle uh, and from some episode on a swing and some heart-shaped birthmark um, in precisely the area where the kid wouldn't be able to see, you know, between, between the um, shoulder, blades. shoulder blades. So... Yeah. Uh, and I think these these aspects of it already they have the kind of diagrammatic aspect that shows you that this is a, this is like a fairy tale, you know. Um, mm. And then this is somehow like further inscribed or emboldened by the fact that it's taking place in Berlin, but it's taking place in the totally absent. I mean, we know this territory quite well from the Berlin Art, but the totally absent uh, center of the city, which he returns yeah, we to see in Andina, and she has this. Yeah, exactly. So it's all happening around Potsdamer Platz. Um, and whenever the, the, the two girls are, uh, you know, apprehended or are running away from the various different forms of authority that are trying to, um, trying to uh, encase them, whether it's the foster parents or the security guards or this, like, um, slightly clingy uh, random bourgeois lady who decides that she's her daughter, they, they take refuge in a park. They're these kind of vagrant, which... Um, Gives it this pastoralism, I think, and a lot of the shots yeah. of them uh, hang, hanging out by the lake, and it's in Tiergarten, you know, it's an enormous park in the center yeah. of the city. Um, and I, re I wasn't sure whether because I watched it once, and the power, I was for a few days afterwards, I had this real kind of uncanniness, unheimlichness, but like everybody's. Uh, every time I'd meet somebody and they'd declare their relationship to somebody or something, there was this like uncertainty generated. And I, I think I'm particularly culpable to these sorts of imitation stories for this reason. Okay? And even the, okay. even, well, the, well, what was this one recently? The, uh, the French body horror where she pretends to be the, uh, she pretends to be oh, the guy's yes, Titan. Titan. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. even that part of Titan I found sort of, uh, interesting. And I think it's because they, um, it's very present in lots of folklore and in lots of um, mm. uh, more ancient form of European storytelling, but you can reintroduce it without that seeming clunky. Uh, and the problem is when yeah. Petzl tried to do this in Andina, it just, it's, it's, um, 
it's great it's too us, present you know, it, it it's really very great it's very, it, the landing is 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 uneven it, with undina i think uh, you know with undina whereas well, it, in um, ghost he really gets the merger right i think um and you get this kind of co imbrication yeah i think with undina it, it it uh kind of gracelessly invokes the mythology by i think these leanings into the kind of fantastical and he's there's often a, a kind of glimmer of the fantastical in his films um and they can be quite sublime moments um but in you know with this was it gunter the big fish in yeah. the in the in the in the in the lake where uh, the character is diving there's these kind of moments that i suppose too and this is this is something we'll talk about i think which is about him too blatantly um invoking um the kind of context and i, I think mean, if i may make a, my my philistine rant go go um, go 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 as as someone without a kind of um uh, without an education in, in literature um so undine starts with this very arresting uh kind of seemingly a breakup scene between a man and a woman uh and the man doesn't man wants to end the relationship the woman doesn't uh her name is undine i guess that's a, not a, not a normal german name uh and then she says i'm gonna go to work for half an hour and uh if you're not uh, there when i get back um uh telling me that you love me uh i'm i'm going to you're gonna die i'm gonna kill you um <laughs> and uh and then she goes to work and it is a scintillating scene of her um doing a tour around this uh sort of architectural display uh, in a museum of the redevelopment of Berlin, uh, the redevelopment of Berlin after the war, um, and uh, and then she comes back and she doesn't see him. He's not there. Um, and then she sort of looks around, sees a tap dripping, and then sees a kind of uh, a queer, like a little fish tank, big fish tank. Uh, and then Franz Rogowski appears, the love, the main love interest of the film, who's also playing a diver. She sort of stares at the diver. There's this moment. This is very cringe, like. Uh, thing that he he starts doing in Yella, which was the third part of the Gespenst tradition, which is very very good mm -hmm. film otherwise, apart from the twist ending. Um, but this technique that he does that's very annoying, where like the EQ suddenly changes and you suddenly like you're being told you're in this person's psyche and things are a bit you know things are a bit hairy and it's strange. The, it's a form of like phony focalizing that we of subjectivity that we I think we discussed before with like. Uh, uh, films like Close, this one we saw in France, where, where you know oh, where you're suddenly yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoosh, where you're sort of like totally you know this told, fo foley hijinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so, like suddenly things are heightened, and you're told you're in this person's mind now, which is it completely misunderstands. Very overproduced. Yeah, completely yeah. misunderstands yeah. like what cinema is like. Like cinema is meant to always. You're not meant to notice that you're 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 attached to what you're watching <laughs> in cinema like it's meant to just like it's right. it, it, that, sh that art should be that artifice that should be hidden you should just be connecting so it's very odd and very um artificial when it's done and it's strange because in gespenster uh petzl never does this in state i mean he, he never does this uh and so it's weird that he was suddenly resorts to so i i don't think it's it's so strange because like the, because the early um you know the there was an initial flurry of excitement around the the kind of um, early Berlin school films, because they had finally, you know, um, restored some credibility and interest to German filmmaking again after Reconstruction, right? But then there was very soon afterwards there was this critique from this guy Dominic Graf, this um, genre filmmaker who's who's trying to do kind of Chabrol. I, I think there's something Chabrolian about Petzold also, but he's much more. 
uh, much more straightforwardly playing with genre and uh, procedural crime thrillers. What's the high-profile Dominic Graff film? Um, there was one a few years ago called Fabian. Uh, don't know. I don't know how many of them are distributed. They're, they're on all the time here. But okay, okay. Fabian going to the dog's beloved sister's... Do- anyway, but he pumps them out, loads and loads of them. But he, he was... He's all like a German guy, Richie. <laughs> I, I guess so, because, I mean... The, the other template for a lot of what Petzold is doing is this program Tattle, which is like uh, stupendously successful for some reason, German institution, kind of the equivalent of the bill or like the bill plus mm. EastEnders, um, but a bit different because it moves around all the different German cities. Every week it's a different city. Uh, but lots of the element of uh, an, an average episode of Tattle are also the um, main vernacular of Petzold's filmmaking, kind of uh, snack bars, Particularly early, early parts. Snack bars, guys in cars, um, uh, car crashes, femme fatalish kind of brunettes, etc. And he works with some of these tattoo actors early on in Cuba Libre and stuff, doesn't he? Uh, Exactly, yeah. yeah. So he 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 kind of further... yeah, Richie Miller, who is like not a, otherwise uh, an art house staple, and he doesn't look mm. like it, you know. And the guy from Wilsburg same, same doesn't with look Sven like it Hepig, at all. Uh, from um, something to remember by, who's been in a lot of kind of slightly shock, schlocky films, mm. having gone through his IMDb. May I, may I just return to my my on Undine just to just to conclude my Undine point? Um, there there yeah. is this action about um, the strange supernatural element that manifests mm. itself that begins with her saying. You're going to die if I if I if you don't um, stay with me. Or Invoking whatever. the myth. Invoking invokes yeah. the myth. I was not aware of the myth. Uh, it seems like a very odd. It, it, either you, either that's like okay, this character is like a real psychotype, like uh, the the husband in in, in Yella, um, or yeah, you're just referring to something that I have no idea about and is never explained. Um, and I I found this illusion like very derailing and annoying and um it does seem like there are elements for me with petzold where you know he loves to hide things he loves to pull things back he loves that magic that magical feeling where someone appears on screen you don't know where they're coming from you don't know where they're going Mm. and so every little action they take you know feels like it's really momentous because there's something that's making you care um but Mm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't bother me that in Gaspenser it's based on a fairy tale. The point is that I don't need to know that. The point is that it it it, it delivers everything it needs to deliver in that moment, and the intrigue the intrigue resonates maybe in an ambient way towards you know various stories that are in there. Well, with Gaspenser it's, it's morphologically a fairy tale. We're all mm. aware of the kind of you know this is Vladimir Prop, right? We're all aware of the fundament. We're so we've so kind of naturalized the beats of fairy tale and mythology and folk tales into mm-hmm. our into our lives we it, it helps us to yeah so you intuit it even if you're yeah. not a specifically yeah, exactly whereas here yeah he's invoking a very specific mm. quite you know b-side bit of mythology <laughs> uh, it's like it's not like a it's not it's like a very it's a very or, clunky film i think mm, it's entirely the big uh, fish constraint you know even the way it does the flash forward with a two years later panel that comes mm. in the final third and these are things you would you would like with the, the like with the kind of weird um, sort of moments of like in people in people say you just would have thought based on his earlier work and based on his newest film A Fire that a filmmaker capable of that would never would never be so lazy as to resort to such it's quite lame isn't it I think there's so there's a sense with when he's very good at this these moments of externalizing interiority. Um, he does it very well with natural means. So in Gespenster, 
um, the scene where the girl goes, to, is, uh, they're invited to this party, this kind of industry party by mm. this slightly creepy um, TV exec or ad man, basically. You know, his, his intentions are pretty dicey. Um, but they've been for a casting with him. Been for a casting. And they're obviously, they're very young, both of them. This is, this is why it's obviously, uh, you know, improper and whatever. But uh, there's a scene where the girl is in this red room Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the rest of the party isn't. There's a kind of a lone, you know, sort of tropical house style, for hi- gun for hire DJ playing some shit music <laughs> in a, in this kind of red bathed room, and it's extremely again. It's it looks extremely, fucking dead. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. It's just this him just kind of like DJing away. No one else in there, and it's a very kind of cold party otherwise. But it's amazing. You know, it's just natural means, and he's chosen to use this red lighting, and it really kind of. Uh, a stra- makes it quite estranging this experience. Mm. It's very interesting, but he does it through natural means. Whereas you look at a film like uh, Undine, where he's you know he has these kind of quite schlocky, um, fantastical. It all becomes a bit kind of uh, imaginarium. Doctor Parnas. I think actually, and what's going on here is that it's it, there's some although it's not dog dogme. Like the early films are not dogma, but for I think um, a few reasons, one of them budgetary, uh, they are they're constrained in various ways. Um, but that there is also you know I think particularly the question of music is something that's quite important to differentiate yes. this earlier from this like mid phase because uh, one of the tools that Phoenix tools is probably a bad term here. One of um, I don't know the techniques that's, that Phoenix uses to kind of. De- deliberately uh, um, drive home its its point is movie music, you know. And the earlier films are we they they're really really peculiar use um, of uh, music that I think actually um, underwrites his general at his general attitude towards bridging high and low uh, forms of popular mm-hmm. culture and and high culture, right? Because I part of the Petzoldian project. Um, which might, could explain why he's so uneven is that he he's not comfortable with being uh, a straightforwardly art house director in the sense that perhaps Chabrol was also not comfortable with this status, right? And he he senses that this earlier generation, um, his instructors in the eighties, you know, Furoki is a gallery filmmaker first and foremost, really. Yeah, so is the the Bitoski of a guy. Um, have consigned themselves away, and in the meantime, you have this new form of kind of like you know das Boot and these like uh, German yeah. action thrillers, which are uh, like una, um, unashamedly kind of lumpen and lowbrow and you know, kowtowing to the like the basest understandings of history and all the rest of it. Uh, so he is trying to bridge these two things, mm-hmm. um, and very often the music also has this status of like it's functional. So, for instance, the Bach um, cantata that we hear at the beginning of Gespenster, she, she asks him, what is this, was, as her husband is playing it? And it seems to kind of amp her up and give her a sense of, like, stridency. And then later on, as she is... He doesn't know, does he? No, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't tell her. And so we're not told either. It's an interesting allusion to that, that sense of a kind of cultured lowbrow you know this this kind of wealthy man driving through central Berlin. They've just his... got classic FM on. Just, yeah, it yeah. is like that. It's like, oh, I like my classical music. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of middle brow. Yeah, yeah. 
That's middle brow for English <laughs> listeners. <laughs> middle, yeah, middle brow. But I think there's, there's um, some interesting... I mean, when you talk about these music cues, as one, one's come to mind before I forget, and I think it's very revealing, is this sense of distance between this quite spiritually evacuated world. It's very cold, and the lawyer in um, Something to Remember Me By in his apartment when he takes Nina Hoss home um, puts on Van Morrison. And it's this incredibly... No, it's, it's, it, no, it's Diane Warwick, no? He listens to uh, Van Morrison and then Diane Warwick. He listens, he puts on two albums. So we get Van Morrison... Oh, yeah, yeah, true, true, yeah. And it's this amazing moment of kind of in this, you know, this, this really kind of gluey, sentimental love anthem from mm. the 90s, um, alluding to, you know, which, which paints a picture of, you know, I guess quite tropey romance. Mm. But in this very cold apartment between these two people who are quite broken and uh, unable to to love really and it's this amazing moment of dissonance and uses this music cue so well i mean um, she's literally a pickup artist isn't she yeah. she's she's we 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 subsequently find out that all the moves that she's done on him mm. uh, have come from a book called how to get your man yeah man target <laughs> or something man man, man as target yeah something yeah. like this um yeah, sorry yeah. to derail you, but I think so. Yeah. There is a kind of falsity to all of it. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, music music plays an interesting role for him, and it's it's almost always diegetic music. Someone's putting a cassette player on, they're playing a tape, they're putting a record on, they're turning the radio on or off. There, or or, or it kind of it'll be a song that in one moment was diegetic, and mm. then it later on emerges, yeah, or fades between the soundtrack and the and the recorded sound. Um, I think a fire is. I mean, there's this amazing sort of. Sort of in, there's kind two of, amazing pieces of music in uh, fire. There's Richard Sakamoto. And there's oh, is there Sakamoto? Uh, Sakamoto uh, makes an appearance at the at the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, mm. It's I mean, Andata. Uh, okay, I missed yeah. that. Um, but yes, no, the, the 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 more surprising choice is uh, "In My Mind" by the Walners, which is I, I don't know. Mind. It's just this very banal sort of indie pop. Uh, ambient tune uh, that is a it's like the music you hear at a lake in Germany in summer you know yeah it's just kind of relaxing song in English um, that is played at the beginning Um, and very repetitive we hear the same repetitive drone it's like and and it it has this transcendent quality in the film Mm. which it it doesn't really I mean now that we've seen the film it does when you listen to Spotify but you know otherwise would would kind of fade completely into the background so he does do this thing and he does it in the state I'm in at the beginning and end with the, with the piece of music that the, the girl listens to mm. um, and yeah it's it's this kind of juxtaposition uh, which you can trace that even I feel uh, back to this very like experiment like j- joyful uh, flippant uh, short that he makes uh, called Sudan which is I guess his first film de facto mm. it's like a 10 minute experimental film he likes this sort of like he likes this element of strange collage or juxtaposition. Um, mm. I guess high and low, as you as you say, George. And I think it's also the music. You know that the, these are the world he depicts is one in which, um, for reasons of economic necessity, uh, people are incapable of connecting. Right. So there is there is mm. some sort of uh, social fissures. They're not. They're never easily alignable along class polarities, which makes him. Any more interesting filmmaker than you know? He's not didactic. Mm. Even I think Jericho probably his most didactic because they they each occupy a different um, 
social stratum. Uh, yeah. Cla- cl- yeah. Class, ethnic, and class. But, uh, yeah. Then the music under the sort of kind of conditions that he's depicting the films we're interested in. So basically his contemporary acerbic neoliberal um, thrillers is uh, is a kind of cheap and easy way of organizing affect and mm. um, uh, kind of creating connection, right, between these. Um, it's quite it's the moment of which... in Wolfsburg as far as I can. I mean, Wolfsburg, which is a, another kind of um, kind of tragedy, a tragedy for, centered around the tragedy of a... Of a Child that is hit by a car, and and, mm. and the man who who uh, 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 the man hit it's a hit and run. The man uh, escapes with his record clear, but his conscience muddied, muddied yeah. exactly. Um, and this, uh, yeah, this this film it, it does operate quite like a thriller in in a way. It does have lots of aspects of, of a more conventional well, like drama. dramatic irony between. Yeah, you know, yeah. we know that he did he killed this, and he he draws close to the the grieving mother and these uh, objects. Yes, yeah. There's this romance with the grieving mother. There are these like bits of the car that get kind of you know examined at a scrap heap. You know, there's this there's red the, Ford. Yeah, yeah, exactly the yeah. red red Ford. Um, there are these like little details. It's very much like a thriller in this way. In some ways, I suppose it's his most. It's his most successful conventional film, but it also has this real, like, this real restraint. Mm. And, um, you know, he works with Nina Haas, who is at her best just an absolutely captivating presence yeah. and capable of, mm. of holding dramatic irony inc- incredibly well. You can kind of know three facts about her and then just watch her do very little. This is like watching like, a scared animal. Yeah, yeah. You know, it really is because she's got an immense screen presence, but also incredibly fragile and is constantly pulling away from mm. situations. It's great, you know. So, and she's, she's capable in these films. She often plays, you know, someone on the back foot. Mm. I think almost always that's where she kind of excels is to play this character. The only case where that wouldn't be, I suppose, is actually um, something to remember you by. Um, where for much of the film, yeah, she is this predator. She is um, targeting a particular two men, um, mm-hmm. the lawyer, and then and then Sven Pippig's um, character Bloom. Um, uh, he's like a progenitor of Leon in a way. This kind of big, schlubby, awkward um, guy. Um, True, then, he's the first schlub in the film. The first, yeah. yeah, he's the first person in a schlub. Uh, and then obviously he reverses that, and she ends up playing this quite weakened. You know, it's a, it's a great. You know, uh, as a film about the kind of uh, fragility and ambiguity of morals and ethics i think something to remember is really interesting even while it is very much a very classic thriller in a way mm-hmm. you know about a serial ki- uh, well not serial killer about a um uh, about a murderer about a kidnapping um there's poisonings there's torture there's um graphic imagery of um wounds it's like it's very much almost a, a kind of americanized film in a way i suppose what i want to penetrate here is that like basically, he uses quite thrillerish techniques in a fairly unstylized way. He works with the same cinematographer throughout his career, Hans Fromm. But in these early films, there's a there's a and it's and it, we've alluded to the fact that it might be budgetary constraints that have made them so sparse. Although he's he's got enough money to um, license these pop songs and crash these cars. A car over, yeah, you can. Yeah, you've got budget. But 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 you know, it's it's a far cry from what he does in in Barbara and Phoenix where he's, he has to refit the whole set and costume mm. for a particular era. There's the clearly high budget productions there. Yeah, yeah. And, and you wonder whether he was always, as you say, George, you know, like with his, with one eye on, on kind of pop culture and mass appeal, mm. trying to, uh, you know, hoping one day to, to make that leap and, and merely constrained by budget. 
because then once once he combines well, the the conventional look with these uh with this like love of genre like he loses his originality mm-hmm. absolutely yeah i think he also he also starts to 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 um surface these things these these submerged things that appear in his earlier films you know with phoenix he very directly um, references the uh, the Holocaust. He directly references uh, Nazi regime, the Third Reich. He directly references a, a wounding. You know, Nina Hoss's character has suffered um, traumatic facial injuries and has had her face surgically mm. reconstructed. Actually, the second case of um, plastic surgery in his films. He likes the motif. Um, What's the first one? Uh, Barbara, the the isn't the the doc the, uh, the, the medical, pra- the medical yeah, it's, practice. And actually, Transit is the third in the trilogy, but doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Mm. But I think there's, I, there's I, I a think, sense uh, there sorry. when he when he yeah I was sort of saying when he when he surfaces and makes blatant um, these these submerged tragedies, that's when they begin to fail because what is what is successful about his early early films and compelling is that they are uh, non-signifying. Mm. Whilst you know they're produced by the conditions of of historic trauma and repression, but they're not painting it for us. Whereas Phoenix says, "Remember the Nazis." And I would like to you know. I would like to hypothesize that Paron Frocky was somehow like instrumental in this in this kind of aesthetic contrast of the early work. But actually, he co-wrote Barbara and Phoenix. He was mm. what was <laughs> his like what 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 interesting things did he think he was doing there? But I think at the level of the script, right, uh, Phoenix is not a f- failure, because that's an interesting. E- even in Phoenix, conundrum. because the, the, the you know the premise of it is that this uh, woman has to get facial reconstruction and sort of, uh, um, in in a sense, undergo a process of forgetting, right? To, um, and so it's not. It's there are many many possible ways of executing, uh, mm. ex- ex- executing the script, uh, which doesn't revert to type it doesn't revert to the kind of schlocky period um uh film vernacular and there's you know there's an exchange actually when she's meeting with the surgeon early on Mm. where uh this kind of terribly disfigured character playing by nina Haas says i i want to look exactly as i used to and the surgeon replies well you know that might not be possible and i I think that itself is a kind of tacit critique of the entire um Mm. The, the entire industry, the cottage industry of the period, uh, prestige film, um, the dedication to reproducing the ruins, the costumes, ex, you know, and, so and then the vacuity of the actual like product of another or something. Like yeah, I think I mean, of course it could have been. You know, there are many, deeply, there are many possible ways of instantiating it. Yeah. yeah, it's deeply uncanny that film in lots of ways. Like the actual, again, yeah, as you say, George, the script is really interesting. Is that she returns um, and cohabits with her husband. Former husband who does not recognize her. He's, husband. husband. He's he's struck by the vague similarity of mm. her to his his um to his wife, um who he believes is dead. Um, and it turns out during the film that he had uh, effectively um, given her up. She was Jewish and in hiding, and he basically led to her arrest and um yada yada yada. Um, so she is a literal again, I suppose, a ghost that revisits him. And is his failure to recognize her lit- literal, or is it? Uh, form mm. again a form of you know repression. It kind of leaves it a little bit ambiguous about whether he really um, knows it's her or not. Um, but there's you know. It's but what it feels like. Mm. Sorry, what it feels like is a man who's kind of told you an, an elaborate uh, story in the kind of like slightly allegorical way, and then you've got a sea of blank faces. So he tells you something literally. You mm. know, like that seems to be the r- relationship between Gus Spencer in this film. 
but uh, Phoenix, it's like, oh, you didn't get it. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's so now I need, to, I need to. Uh, I need to spell it out. I think. Right. Let, let's try. Let's try again. But this time in costume, and this guy's going to say Kyle. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now we know. That. Everyone's like, oh, okay. I get the context now. I think oh, what, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the um, interesting words you used earlier. I just want to come back to it for a moment. Is, is pastoral. I think there is um, certain motifs in uh, the, partly they're locational. You know, his use of these quite desolate um, urban or kind of extra urban, anomic, non-places, um, you know, uh, service stations, petrol stations, snack bars, uh, industrial estates, uh, business hotels, all these things, um, which again are quite non-signifying, quite threatening. This this mm. new world of kind of um, post, post-Cold War globalization and business. It's very interesting. It's kind of in its way, it's quite sexy. Um, and also completely spiritless, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and... And, uh, and like eked out of history eked out of history yeah they're, they're, they're literally it's, yeah yeah because we don't we you know it's very rare in in a petzold film to see a sort of a historically significant landmark or building yeah true. And i think that's interesting in a you know and partly you in know, the present day films in the present day films and so there's that element of it but there's also this pastoral element of it which i think manifests in rivers and waterways and his his invocation of water as a theme um and i think it's really interesting how water appears to play a role in all of his films in some capacity. Um, I mean, that might be a preference, I think, in, in uh, something to remember me by. It's a swimming pool, uh, and it's the use of these very cold blue colors that the characters wear in it. Um, we've got uh, Yellow, where the car accident that takes place, and you know, she, she dies in this, this, this car accident, drowns in the river. Um, in Jericho, the Turkish business owner first meets the soldier by crashing his car down the bank of a river. Um, there's rivers at the beginning of something to remind me she is a uh, they meet at the swimming pool yeah that's it yeah the swimming pool so it's all these variations on water which I mean what does that mean is it just a preference I think there's a sense of you know water's associations with purification cleansing Um, I think there's also a sense of with maybe Germany this use of rivers as well you know the the historical significance of a river like the Rhine which in the German in the Roman imagination was the dividing line between the civilized and the barbaric um, I think there's there's some of that operationalizing mm-hmm. in the film somewhere. About. Is that I don't know about this yeah. water hypothesis. It's not like no, I I, I, I even noticed this on watching them in such density recently as well. Yeah, it's everywhere. Uh, water, car crashes. These these certain motifs. Car crashes back definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but water. If you look again, it's there's lots of blue. There's also just lots of water plays a role. You know, in um. In Undine, for sure. Undine, for sure. <laughs> again, a swimming pool. But no, also but in then the, the others as well. Yeah, there's this kind of. She tries to drown herself in the river. Yeah, sure. Um, it's there and it's, yeah, maybe it's this kind of water is this kind of element, this reminder of this elemental cleaving force that is, you know, there's an attempt to control it because it's dammed, put in a pool, mm-hmm. put in a, a canal, you know, they're often quite fake waterways. Um, but there's, you know, there's, there's a raw sense of power and elemental force that's, you know, yeah. operate, operating around these very sterile, clean factory spaces and non-places. I just think it's quite interesting that he's, it's, it's something that he continually comes back to. And in a, a fire, obviously, um, they are by the Baltic, um, which is a place he's visited a few times um, yeah. in his films. I mean, George, what is the water significance of, yeah, water and fire. What's the significance of like the Baltic coast, do you think, for him? Because he's filmed a few things there. Um, is there I mean, people are continually invoking. Go on his holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Initially, I presume, like uh, it's actually his first film, Cuba Libra, um, mm. which is, I think, from ni- ninety six or so. A sort of right. uh, 
um, schlocky genre fic that uh, works its way through into several of his later works. For instance, the the motif of the guy who uh, this sort of vagrant-like character who becomes a driver for a richer man, which you then see in Jericho. That's basically is basically the plot point of Cuba Libre. Um, but they are on the same exact stretch of coastline near Rostock, as is then set in a fire. That's and there are a few, uh, a few yeah. things about that location which um, uh, fit with his general thematic approach to German history is that like the NSU, the National Socialist Underground, to the kind of re- uh, recrudescent return of the repressed in the early noughties of um, uh, serious uh, organized neo-Nazism, uh, mm. were all based around there very often. Like, um, interesting. And so, uh, in, the, in the former East, but up near the coastline. But it, at the same time, it's the spot where if, if you're a well-meaning kind of middle-class German, you'll take your staycation. So, oh, okay. it, uh, so it, it, it's a spot that kind of bridges this, um, these, two, these two countries which have been nestled into one once again. But also historically, it's kind of a lapsed place as well, right? Because, you know, this used to be the, the, the driving seat of the Hanseatic League. You know, so it's an area that was in heavily industrialized, or not industrialized, but heavily traded. And there was a huge maritime empire that operated off that coastline. Um, and, I, you know, now it's just, I suppose, it's a bit like going to Margate. Or, yeah, it's saying smart. You know, <laughs> <laughs> smart, I think. <laughs> so his sense, his use of location is really interesting. I think maybe... Um, uh, Undine um, is interesting in a sense because we do we are in Berlin and we are in mm-hmm. the historic centre of Berlin but it's only glimpsed in the corner of the eye and we mostly see it through these these scale models that she uh, is walking mm. the um, those are the best around. sequences in the whole film I, I love those say. sequences yeah. Yeah, I think absolutely my jam yeah, um, play. but the only way he re- is a, wants to represent the city of Berlin to us is through these abstractions and through these kind of um, very very kind of um, fun models of the city which he returns to quite a few times you know we're not seeing the actual signification of i think we see it through the window we see a little bit of alexanderplatz at night through the window um in her kind of weird like airbnb-ish apartment that she's living in mm-hmm. um right she's by hakesha marked which isn't like in the same place for somebody with her job to have but whatever um, okay. <laughs> i did wonder it because it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, rental-wise, it's like it's yeah. like if she was living at Oxford Circus and she right. basically works in a museum doing mediation work. But um, that's the interesting part about the scale Black models, check. you know, she has this. Return to form. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, has this like monologue about the Humboldt Forum, which is the the slightly tragic attempt to recreate this um, uh, this Kaiser era, this. Palace. Uh, first Reich, yeah. yeah, palace, the second Reich, rather, palace on um, on the site of what had been the palace that came after it, the communist one. So it's this, And they, they rebuilt it, uh, uh, tried to create an exact facsimile of it, is that correct? Like, and the, well, it, it ended up as a historic fudge. So one, one side of it ends up as a perfect replica, and the back mm. end is this um, slightly fudged neoclassical thing a little bit like what you have by the london stock exchange um yeah this this, or the, this kind of pound the national bream, gallery as well uh, that has a kind of or the national kind of gallery yes kind of stuck on the side of it yeah and so this i mean this these these moments suggest to me that he understands that you can't just do you can't straightforwardly do uh period reconstruction films in order to help people think about historical atrocities i mean it's like 
he seems cognizant of this fact. And does and yet, he have a political um, mission? Is, is is there a kind of because it does feel like, especially from Transit, which isn't set in the past, but is based on right. a book that is set during the Nazi era, and uh, yeah, as I said earlier, seems to yeah, we haven't to spoken the about Transit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Transit for me was like maybe my least favorite, although I I haven't seen uh, Barbara and Phoenix in full. Um, mm. But Transit for me upset me in that it it had such a pedestrian middle of the road like glossy uh lush art has it's set in marseille it's in it's in cinemascope widescreen mm. um moorish yeah M- M- rogowski who who i must say absolutely fizzes with um with riz in uh, in <laughs> riz passages riz. which is out at the moment uh is very underused plays is he's kind of cast as as what you know in a traditional spy thriller would be kind of the straight man this deviate you know but he's obviously a very odd strange guy he's got this funny cleft lip and this funny high voice strange voice you know like that seems just like not an interesting he's not well cast yeah not yeah not well cast no i don't think i don't think they're a good fit at all because he's playing what was his he's not playing against type he was basically typecast as this um slightly uh um, Asline or, or anodyne kind of FA um, uh, over affectionate um, mm. so, soppy boy, boy really soppy yeah soft boy, yeah. boy. Or like in Victoria uh, he's more of a tough guy but yeah it's it's strange and 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 the film yeah the film really lacks any any uh, like it's just these but quite literary it has this awful voiceover that's like I assume at, at like extracts from the Anna Seeger's book. Which like tell you like what everyone's thinking at every every single moment, um, and yet it has this very fake feeling literary idea of fascism that manifests in people walking around asking for papers. Um, yeah, it it just it disengages it disengaged me as a viewer immediately. Yeah, this, and it this felt is like the effect a, of Phoenix as well because Phoenix is shot in a way that evokes like the you know Verhoeven's Black Book or something. It's right. like you know sort of prestige glossy even though there is this we me and george are saying earlier you know this kind of strangeness about the the actual setup which is you know the husband basically re-educating the wife on how to be herself so he can yeah. claim checks um and basically uh he can claim i guess checks off the back of her name um and she is only able to imperfectly um inhabit the character of the woman she actually is mm. you know and he's never quite convinced with her performance um, but the actual kind of look and feel of the film is so Moorish and, uh, you know, sort of... Um, Moorish, we mean here, middle, we don't mean we want more of it. We mean middle no, of yeah, the yeah, road, yeah. art house style. Middle of the road, art house film. And it it loses something. And it's, 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 there's so much capacity with that film, which is about kind of non-recognition and identity and, and trauma and repression to shoot it in a way that bootstraps that, but the mm. shooting doesn't. It's kind of weird because it reminded me, because it's shot partly in the, in the, in the rubbles of, rubble of um you know of berlin and in these cabaret bars and stuff which again are two exciting places for mm. petzold he shouldn't be in a cabaret bar you know that's not where he operates he operates and they're too the, overused they're too familiar mm. it, it ends up yeah, being like a set piece it, it, <laughs> you know? it feels like a set piece sequence from uh, a 40s video game you know yeah like, yeah yeah exactly ah we're in the the berlin world or something it's it's quite strange because there there was a period actually which is, i was thinking about it when i was uh, thinking about phoenix which is uh, 1946, 47, 48, 49 in Germany when Berlin was still literally just, you know, flattened and rubble. And there were films produced and shot in Berlin which become known as Truman films. 
mm-hmm. they're like rubble film um, because they were shot using the mm-hmm. only available landscapes yeah. that were available which were um, ruined, desolate, broken because that's the only place you could shoot you, you couldn't not include rubble in the film yeah. sometimes it was a plot point and sometimes it wasn't it, mm, they just, you just know, there. it was just there diegetic and non-diegetic rubble yeah, and it's like, so in a, in a sense like, and I, I kind of wondered was he trying to allude to this but I don't think it, it, it was that that clever maybe i mean these these weren't necessarily interesting they're historically interesting but not artistically interesting these rubble films um but yeah so phoenix falls flat in so many ways because all of this stuff is like just blatantly laid out before us under the dissecting table um and i think what what is so powerful about so maybe um, yeah go on well, I was going to say it's like you know, there are moments in which you have this er- eruption of history into the into the earlier films, like uh, in Jericho, for instance. They're walking along the path, and um, the microdrama that is playing out between the uh, the two lovers seeking to kill the kill mm. the um, uh, the the Turkish husband yeah. is momentarily like uh, beset by like these. Um, kids walking along the trail yes, who are yeah. singing this Hitler Jugend song. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, yeah, know yeah. That, I didn't know that it was Hitler Youth, but yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah, that's um, a, great, a great weird little eruption. Is that normal it? for kids to sing Hitler Youth songs? Oh, in Germany, maybe. No, but it kind of comes after this moment when the uh, when the Turkish husband has said, you know, I live in a land that doesn't want me with a frau that I've bought. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of wife. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. This interesting. Um, turn that for upside down. Um, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of um, these 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 kind of statements that people make. Like they're aware of the hopelessness of the situation. I think it's that. There's actually two. There's a. I think it, it's is it Jericho or another film? One of the characters says, "You know, you um, we you can't have love without money." I think it's um, it is uh, Jericho. Actually, it's the wife saying it to um, the soldier character. Mm. Uh, you know, she says, "You can't have love without money." Um, she's aware of the kind of uh, uh, the hopelessness of a feeling like love or romantic love under a system of, you know, real inequality. And, you know, she's in debt, which is the great modern form of, as it were, you know... Imprisonment. Imprisonment and entrapment in this kind of <laughs> David Greyberryan sense, you know, of people being kind of yoked to debt. And, and she's she's basically in this prenup agreement whereby, you know, her only... Ch- she's been in prison, her, she's in, in a quarter of a million of debt or something. Her only chance of survival is... To help this guy run his business and be his wife, mm. uh, and if and if and if the marriage fails at all, um, she reassumes the debt. She reassumes the debt and yeah. gets none of his his money. Yeah, so it's 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 people are aware of the kind of um, precariousness and the kind of desolation of their of their situation. You know, the the Turkish husband is as well because he pines for the return to Turkey. Yeah, um, I mean, I think there's something like just to take it back to Gespenster, like. When the and I suppose yeah I suppose state I'm in kind of has this love versus imprisonment you know the the, the atmosphere I mean the strongest thing about state I'm in uh, or internal security as, as we should probably now call it um, is this is this sense of like love and affection trying to thrive in the face of like you know under the under the threat of the law and, and, yeah. and imprisonment mm, yeah uh, in Gaspenster there's this there are numerous moments of like just odd imagination. I, I think the, the mm. thing I, I, I want to just hone in on as, as we draw this discussion to a close is this scene, this audition scene yeah, um, yeah. between mm. uh, where basically I think the uh, the woman who, um, I can't remember any of their names, but it doesn't matter, I'll just say who they are. <laughs> um, the woman who... Nina? Was, 
It's Nina, the, the, the younger girl. So the woman who was found uh, in the park um, uh, having her jewelry stolen uh, takes the other girl. Tony. Uh, get, uh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, along, along to um, to this audition uh, run by the guy whose party that they then go to. Mm. And at this audition, they are encouraged to tell stories of who they are and the stories like somewhat resemble their actual stories that we've seen but not quite and it's quite it's like a beautifully mm. prolonged scene it like goes on longer than one would expect it to um i think and, it's total masterclass this this, mm. this um, and it has a kind of it has a postmodern quality we were, we were talking when we did the edward yang for, uh, episode about like films that you know, films that deviate from from the narrative by or or Radio Juju will discuss um, soon. Uh, probably on our next podcast. Uh, you know, filmmakers who include extended scenes that op- operate under a bit of a different register, or you know, use or have a narrative with have a narrative within them, not just the simplistic art house. I'm now going to talk about something that happened to me mm. for for like five minutes thing that we've seen plenty of, but this like this referring to some kind of uh, fictive world mm. uh, and that kind of shedding you know, being a dramatic being a dramatic point in the narrative like, yeah. we, like we, we see something new about these people as we see them pretending something about themselves for no yeah. apparent strategic well, actually, reason I think well, it's more, I, you can add something to that I'll just say quickly which is that the kind of again the bathos around a scene is that she's completely blowing a load on this because this is her the first time anyone's really asked her how she feels and she mm. uh, is able to articulate herself with great passion and emotion it's extremely compelling and and uh, and powerful but it's completely inappropriate for the context the the the, the tv directors obviously they're not being cast they're not looking to cast young women as 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 you know leads it's for an advert of some sort or another mm-hmm. um so it's completely as it were the, the there's a juxtaposition with the context it's completely the wrong place to unburden herself in this way mm. and it's it's to, in order to as it were sell herself for a commercial mm. so there's a real sense of like it's um, the emotional register is so 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 high but the context is so mm. asinine yeah. and banal and you know falls on deaf ears because the director uh is the people listening are obviously moved a bit and can maybe sense that it's a real story um or is grounded in truth but they're not going to give them the job you know, and mm-hmm. his uh, his only his real response to it is actually like, yeah, I'm going to try and fuck the older chick, <laughs> <laughs> which is basically what happens. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, George, I, I interrupted. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that what I found so arresting about this scene is partly what you alluded to, Ralph. This like swerving and this misdirection, and um, you, you, so the, from from the get go, you think because the the more assertive of the two girls, uh, Tony is is. Um, taking the charge and she's already set up the terms of their visit which is that um uh you tell them the sort of story that the casting people want to hear but she she's not able to perform in this way she she kind of has a bit of performance anxiety so and in her moment of um in her moment of casting about and flailing for the right word she turns to nina who gives this like you say completely inappropriate, emotionally uh, traumatizing version of an event we've already seen, which is nested within the world of her dreams and actually um, uh, slides all over the shop between, and then before alighting in the end on somewhere quite tender, which is like, and this is how I met Tony. And she turns back to her and the girl is in tears. Um, And 
it's it's great because it's emotionally it's um I find it funny that Ralph you were saying, you know, uh the Guardian journalist who should not be named um <laughs> was ca- Peter uh, ca- dear friend of mine at George's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> True. Was chastising um a film that he probably slept through anyway, a Bellinale a fire for uh, being tonally indecisive, you know. Oh, and I think actually I this, this... It's tonally collage-like. Right, right. The, 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 um, tonally complex is maybe what he was, was seeking, <laughs> right? Because it's, <laughs> it's not like this is a... Because uh, um, she's also playing with them in this, in this instance. She's yeah. not totally non-cognizant. It's not like she's... Um, uh, just give him way and is venting as, as you might in a Hollywood film and it would be a great uh, uh, a great declaration of traumatic bonding between them. So really peculiar moment and I, mm. it just jumps out, it kind of abuts from the film like an extension from a building or something and yeah, you, go back into, very... you go back into the main building from it but you can't really forget it afterwards. It's almost like a... Yeah, he's, he's good at these. It, yeah. These are again, we've called them eruptions throughout this, but I think they are. You know, there there are certain presences in in a fire which make it so arresting. Um, you know, literally the fire, um, the 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 wildfire which is raging um, further down the coast, which is a spectre that's constantly haunting. It's a little bit like the you know Chekhov's cherry tree, which we don't you know it's a play, but we the characters hear it being chopped down. Mm. It's the big you know emotional kind of denouement of the film is the is the axing of this cherry tree. We hear that they hear the axes at the end hitting away yeah. at the wood, and it's incredibly emotionally powerful raw um, moment. Um, but here, the fire we don't really see the fire, we see the kind of glow of the fire on the horizon as it kind of creeps slowly closer to them. This again, it's this, this, this kind of present force, elemental force, and tragedy that's just at the edge of perception. Um, and we, we see it, and the amazing way he reveals it is through these burning. Um, I say pigs, but they're boars that run through mm. the forest. Um, and again, he even underplays that in a way. It's amazing, amazing scene because they aren't flaming balls of fire. They're, it's almost like the, they're glowing slightly. Mm. Uh, there's almost a kind of um, verisethical kind of nature to yes, that scene. Yes, actually, it's weirdly, yes. Um, but with a, with a sort of thriller edge or horror edge in a way. Like he does, mm. he does um, that was the thing I noticed the second time round on, on a fire was that um, there is this, hot, there's like, these moments in the forest where Leon is like looking left and right and it's kind of the camera kind of does that pan a bit like something like something's about to jump out at him. Yeah, yeah. And there are kind of sudden j- jump starts or like playful it's uh, play fighting, you know, yeah, yeah. there are, um, there are like shocking images in, in, in a fire, mm. you know, it's not a complete, not completely like some sort of mumble core chamber piece. Um, but it is rooted in, in, in a very like, like restrained and delicate psychologically, um, complex and sympathetic scenario, um, and it has the richness of, of like, yeah, the 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 best novel and the worst novel. You know that mm. you see him kind of creatively, um, uh, sort of uh, oscillating, uh, fluctuating. Um, well, yeah, you're right because there's this amazing distance between the Hein poem um, that is read at dinner, mm. um, very movingly by Paula Beers character and you know she's asked to do it read it twice um and it's amazing and it's it's played for laughs in a way because there's this incredibly um, moving um, um recitation of this poem and then we've got the other recitation which is of uh, leon's stinking book mm. club, club sandwich um yeah you know this this awful book that he knows is just a piece of shit that he's um 
kind of lugging or, or is assumed to be we only hear chunks of it but it's amazing you know this this juxtaposition between these two readings yeah and he's so good at that because the film itself is a juxtaposition between the its first and second half and then the reading later on of his his subsequent book that yeah. reflects on on what what of him having what, gone through this what concludes the film um and it's kind of the, I think that's almost played again. That's kind of played for last noise's sense of humour, which is that the only way that, the only way that really Leon be, could become a great writer was to experience something so horrifically traumatising <laughs> that is irrepeatable. So it's kind of setting him up for this future of tragedy or trauma mining his own life in order to produce work. Yeah, and but I don't feel like the film sort of. Um, uh, I don't feel the film like uh teaches that you should no reflect no, no. on yourself or something in some in some simpler way but it just kind of shows it shows that this adorning of self-awareness yeah it, it yeah. shows adorning of self-awareness when confronted with something serious and there's something quite like uh like ma- like masturbatory about the way that he's constantly trying to declare his his opinions and feelings to um Paul Nadia, Paul Abir's character and his own gravitas his yeah, own yeah. self and then he's, he's his always ear. interrupted yeah by yeah. something much more important that concerns other people. Yeah, when he declares his love for her, for example, exactly. that's she, and then, know, a moment later, a beat later, we find out that his friend and her boyfriend have died in this, um, tragically in this wildfire. Um, um, and it's kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of sensible, yeah, the, the whole film he is um, almost autistically incapable of understanding um, the import of real, ordinary life. And it's something that, you know, Nadia reminds him of frequently. Um, I do think he's a new character for Petzold, actually. And I, I, I think it, it does yeah. mark a sort of um, a, a turning in his filmography, even though it's purportedly continuing the project of this, this Andina. Because um, yeah. in, in Leon, there is a, there's a like, fine grain to the characterization which departs from the use of models, narrative models, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the yeah, use yeah. of to, to just kind of hanging, um, hanging the wider story about uh, let's say how uh, capital and, and has restructured um, human relationships or relations to intimacy, or like we were talking about before, the uh, uh, the possibility of romance to, um, to to cut across or be be trammeled uh, by you know by work and by everything else that seems to stop people from doing what they want in his films. But here you have he's like a very particular figure. I think, and I think it, that might be because he's also sort of an author stand-in, is what he was yeah. suggesting on the some of the publicity trail for this. Yeah. And uh, Club Sandwich, the the shitty doggerel novel, um, is is then his own characterization of Cuba Libra, his his first directorial effort. I think. Well, it's it's interesting the excuse he uses, which is this refrain that's used in the film, which is the work quite allowed. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The no, I mean there's there's for a, him to there's live a... life. There's um, a beautiful humanity to the way that the yeah the man who's constantly trying really hard to work uh, and 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 be diligently accomplish his uh, his kind of expression manages to express himself in the in the worst mm-hmm. in the least articulate and interesting way. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's um, interesting how and is outflanked by everybody else's productivity. Exactly. Like he think he mm-hmm. thinks is uh, because he thinks because his friend Felix is so uh, is able of enjoying and enjoying life he's incapable of um, adequately producing anything and meanwhile he goes on to 
shoot this this uh, series of portraits yeah. and this artist. Although projects. I think that I think um, his portrait, I think there is like a kind of banality. They're I think, not good. The I don't think they're particularly good, and mm. and the conceit is fairly simplistic, and and sort of um, Leon is kind of right to point this out. But then again, like there is like a joy and a passion that causes him to kind of achieve something more worthy of intrigue. Mm. And, and and he certainly hooks in the and and you could read it from you could be a Leon I mean you could you could read that whole dynamic from a more Leonish perspective and feel that you know it's like these culture industries are more about like what energy you bring than like what you're actually making but you know mm. there's a sort of there's lots there's it's rich enough that like you know people um, people can see it. From from all the different characters' perspectives, and there's a sort of like a, an essential truth to everyone's um, everyone's prejudices within within that uh, within that dynamic. Exactly, and even though yeah. he's departing from his usual uh, set of kind of quite ordinary professions, I think in most of the films, so lawyers or um, yeah, these, these kind know, of Maastricht kind of, figures, these the EU, EU yeah, these these, these kind of blank or they, or whatever spreadsheet related activity they're doing in yellow, for instance, yeah, yeah. which is like it's completely you know, the point when she, she asks yeah. him, "Are you any good at Excel in the hotel lobby?" You know? <laughs> um, yeah. So you actually, know, he, he's dealing it's funny with that a, a fire is kind of like a first film that he's sort of made. Last. It looks like a debut film, like it's as a well, well it, it feels like it. Yeah. it has the maturity of of a film made by someone who's worked with actors and and mm. crews for you know for decades, which he has. Um, but the subject matter, like people who make like young people making stuff on holiday is yeah. so first feature you know so it's a mm-hmm. kind of weird like yeah, yeah, yeah. um it's it's a weird combination there um, I, that's uh, yeah. why i'm optimistic about what i, I think it will he said um, he's you, going to work with the same cast on his right on, on so third this, the trilogy. this george you're, you're right you know someone a, a figure like leon does feel like a kind of um new man in a way for a the new idea that a fire yeah. has any coherence with undine and that the, a third film is going to round off this trilogy in any kind of it, it not i think it's it's a trilogy idea is more it's like a structure of feeling that he has towards right. the materials and that they're, they're, they are i think the only thing that really unites them is is each has an element so in undine it's water in in a fire it's fire okay, presumably okay, next okay. it'll be i think he said earth in the past earth, or something. Okay. Um, things, so, are good, things are about to get yeah, muddy. Some, I mean, somebody on a fucking allotment. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to Wolfsburg. That's yeah, where yeah. Christian Petzl needs but to go. But yeah, so I think, so. Um, yeah, but I mean the 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 Barbara um, the Barbara Phoenix transit uh, trilogy has the coherence of being uh, being generic and bad, and, and the Ghost <laughs> trilogy has the sort of amazing thematic coherence we've we've, we've, yeah. uh, we've alluded to. This trilogy. Mixed, but hopefully, um, hopefully he can sustain this this quite fresh mm. energy that he brought in a fire. I think there's a, a sense of um, humour that is there's uh, an icy humour in all of his mm. earlier films. You know, like I said, the, the use of Van Morrison and um, something to remember me by remind me is is funny. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, but uh here it's like a, a, a conscious humor it's, it's he almost had like a parallel career trajectory to someone like um bruno dumont in right, France, you yeah. know someone who went from mm. producing extremely brutal cold true, alienating true. films and then it's moved into his real silly goose phase uh, and now dumont is fully silly goose yeah with like france with this mm. kind of like cartoonish satire that's, yeah it's quite joyful yeah absolutely it's uh, rompy you know con con all these films um so maybe we're going to see a similar uh trajectory with christian petzl where he's going to kind of let his hair down a little bit yeah this felt like actually it felt like someone who was creatively stuck mm. kind of sort of having a bit of a revelation 
kind of cooling off. It's a very emotional film. Um, yes. On that note of hope, um, <laughs> not cope, uh, yeah. we, we thank George very much for joining us all the way from Berlin. Uh, yeah. Your insights is as valuable as ever. And yes, we will uh, be joined by George in London to cover the London Film Festival. Yeah. Um, Next month. We will... Uh, I was going to make some kind of pour a beer, pour a beer joke, but I, I don't, quite, beer, I don't, I don't uh, quite have the, uh, the, 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 the mechanisms to, to generate it. Well, like, like Christian Petzold, you don't, you, don't, you don't articulate it directly, you allude to making exactly, the Exactly, uh, I, I will. So you've done that. I will invoke it. We will, and we will be also doing a podcast about Raju Jude uh, at some point. That might be our next pod. About um, his latest. Um, uh, and we will cover his latest film. Do not expect too much from the end of the world. Do expect a lot from that podcast. It, it'll <laughs> yeah. be very good. We will be joined again by George, as we will in London Film Festival. There's quite a lot, quite a lot of George in the, yeah, in I like the upcoming this. I like the, return to George pods. trilogy. We yeah, we're exactly. I'm the third this, wheel. This yeah. The George, yeah, exactly. This is the George. Uh, the, the, yeah. We're in a Georgian area. The, the, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we're tired. It's weird. We need to go in the sun. Yeah, there's a Kaylee happening actually outside. This is what the there was. This, while George hasn't seen this, but while uh, while uh, we were podding, um, my flatmates and neighbours uh, unfurled a 25 meter um, drum of uh, power cord down to the car park where they will be doing a Kaylee uh, for someone's birthday. Mm. Uh, I will be fleeing uh, shortly. So you're you're, you're leoning. <laughs> You're deciding I'm, not to I'm, jump into the stream. I'm of, going uh, to somewhere where I will be a, uh, a Felix, <laughs> but I am leoning this situation. Okay. And, and I think that, that, if nothing else, demonstrates the universal Likewise. power <laughs> of a fire <laughs> uh, and, and its ability to penetrate the human psyche. Absolutely. Thank you, George. Thanks, George. Thank you, and Cheers. thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers, indeed. Oh, oh.